Ksuvas Perik Dalad Mishnah Aleph four one. The topic of this fourth chapter of Ksuvas is basically the dynamics between the father and the daughter with respect to um, who has rights in what and how to allocate those rights. Now, that being the case, our first Mishnah addresses the basic topic we had in the third parak, which is who has the rights to collect the payments that arise from a scenario of onus or mafate, who gets those penalty payments, etc. Now, just to understand the Mishnah, I want to just make sure someone's clear here. We said there are really three stages in a girl's life. She's a katana first, a minor, which is exactly the same as a boy being a katan, till he hits a bar mitzvah. He's totally a minor in every sense, legally has no autonomy or responsibility, really. Um, and the same goes for a girl as a katana. Once she hits bas mitzvah age, again, being 12 years old and hitting puberty, as evidenced by two hairs. So then, instead of becoming a full-blown godola in every sense, as the boy does, she becomes a godola in as much as she's held accountable for her actions, etc. But in the area of um, to whom she will get married, so there is an overlap of six months while she's called a nara, before she becomes a full-blown godola, being a bulgaris, mature girl. And as a nara, both she and her father share in the rights of determining to whom she'll be married. Now, what's interesting and really the basic fundamental point and premise for Mishnah here is that the primary person deciding to whom she should be married when she is between 12 and 12 and a half as a Nara is the father. Okay, It seems that in the time of the Mishnah that was really prime time for a girl to get married. Um, everything happened a little quicker and life was a little shorter back then in general. So he was the primary person. And therefore, um, since really as a Narish, he would be able to determine to whom she gets married. She could also, but he's primary. And he might um, be able to strike a deal, let's say, with a prospective suitor and get, you know, he'll marry his daughter off to the guy in exchange for a million bucks. So really, now that the marriage prospects of this girl have been messed up, because it's come out that she's either an Anusa or a Mufuta, she's been seduced or been raped. So now um, the father has lost his big opportunity to marry her off. Her now, he's really the, he, since her options are much more limited now, really in terms of financial, in terms of finances, the big loser is really him while she's still a Nara. So that being the case, the payments that arise from the onus or the pitui. Um, not just the kanas, the penalty payment, that fine of 50 shekels is applicable, um, but also the associated payments, like the, the boshas mm-hmm. and the pagam payment, and the tsar, were appropriate, were applicable. Um, those things all, um, those payments will go to the fathers, the mission will say, with the details of the mission, you'll see a little more, more details. But then the principle is, as a nara, they go to the father. Now, I want to speak out, that's quite unusual. If a girl were a, a Nara, she's, you know, 12 years old, and then someone comes and punches her in the nose, so she'll be entitled to payments like Tsar, Boshas, and Pagam. And the payments that she would, um, that would the court would, you know, levy from the defendant, the perpetrator who punched her, would go to her, because she's already a Gadola. She's, a, she's an autonomous, independent legal entity, called a 12-year-old woman. Um, 
In contrast, when it comes to the payments that arise from the owners and the pitui, they go, not just the kanas, but also the pagam, the boshas, and we're applicable, the tsar, go to the father. Again, because we're looking at this sort of as a package deal where the primary um, damage done, uh, in terms of financial damage, if you will, is to her marriage prospects, and the big loser, therefore, is the father, not the daughter, while she is a nara. And that being the case, um, conceptually, the Mishnah says, in practice, nara... If you have a girl who's been 12, between 12 and 12 and a half, and the father therefore shares the rights with her regarding to whom she should get married, and he's really primary, she is seduced, then both her humiliation payment and her depreciation payment, and also the penalty payment, that 50 shekels is applicable, they go to her father as opposed to her. Vatsar betfusa. In the event that she is a victim of rape, there's also the tsar, the pain payment, and that also will go to the father. The Mishnah chooses uh, unusual, relative to the way in the previous parak um, expression, referring to the anusa as a tafusa. Tafusa means someone who's grabbed. But um, the reason it does that, presumably, is because the pasuk itself, um, in talking about that case of onus, says ki yimtza ish nara besula. When a man finds this. Virgin Naira, Usfasa Vishakavima, and he grabs her. That's Tfasa, the Tfusa, and, and and lies with her, sleeps with her. So that being the case, um we're using the Mishnah's using the Lushan of Tfusa here. You know, so the payments all go to the father, that's based on black and white Pasik essentially, because it says Vanasana Isha Shokhav Kamishim Kasef. The Pasik says that it's the perpetrator gives the fifty shekels of the kanas payment to the father in the context of the onus, and um, it's understood that since it's sort of a package deal, he's been the loser of this finance. It's all considered together, not just the kanas, but also the boshas, pagam, and sar. Fine. Mish continues and says, I'm the badin, If you have the, this is the base case, you take the perpetrator to court to prosecute him, and the father's still alive. While the father hasn't died yet, so of course he's the he's the plaintiff. He's the primary plaintiff and claimant here because he's the one who suffered the financial loss of her reduced marriage prospects, and therefore the payments that are levied from this defendant, the perpetrator, Harehen Shalav, they go to the father. I basically said that already. But what happens if Mesaav? What happens if the father dies? That means the case is the perpetrator is brought to court. The court finds him guilty. Therefore, they rule that he has to pay 50 shekels plus whatever other payments he has to pay. But then, before the father can collect, the father dies. So now, to whom should those payments be made? So you might have thought, well, then, if father's not around, then the daughter should get it. The answer is no, it doesn't go to the daughter. Harehen shall achen, it goes to her brothers. Why is that? Because once the din has been rendered by the court, so therefore there's a, there's a there's an asset, a financial asset on the on the father's balance sheet. He has like a he's a receivable. The court said that the perpetrator has to pay him fifty shekels. He has a receivable on his balance sheet, so to speak. When he dies, so his heirs inherit the balance sheet, and they're on the balance sheet. There is the right to collect fifty shekels, etc., from the perpetrator. So therefore, they're the ones who get it, not her. And that's the chiddush, the mission that she hasn't collected. It hasn't been collected, but since it was ruled while he was alive, so it's his heirs that are the beneficiary of that. Payment. But, if they weren't able to bring this perpetrator to justice, making him pay 
and before the court before the father died. So then when he's brought to court, the plaintiff is no longer the father. The plaintiff now is the daughter. That being the case, since the father's out of the picture, he was dead before the court case began. The only plaintiff in the picture is the woman, the girl. And she, therefore, harehen shel atzma, the payments that are levied from the perpetrator, the kanas, etc., as well as the tsar, as applicable, and the boshesimpagam, all go to her, the girl. Furthermore, we talked about how there was this there's this three phases. As a katana, he's the only person to whom who, to, who can decide to whom she marries. As a nara, they both can. As a bogaris, only she can. So there's the nara is the transitional period. But the point is, once she becomes a bogaris, 12 and a half, so then the only person who has any possibility of marrying her off is her. And therefore, the only person who has like a financial claim, whatever benefits can be you know, gotten from negotiating that, that marriage is her. Therefore, the victim now, the sole victim... Um, in practice, uh, in terms of financial loss now, of her no longer being marriageable as she was before, is her. And that being the case, I'm the Badin Ad Bagra. If she hadn't yet become a Bulgaris, she's not yet 12 and a half, and that's when the court case happens, and then they really has to pay Harehen Shal Av. The payment goes to the father. That's what we said before. Mesa Av, if the father dies prior to the money being collected, but after it was already ruled that he has, that the perpetrator of the defendant's guiltiness to pay. So then, then the money goes to the brothers, her brothers, because um, they are the heirs of the father. And like we explained before, once the court said it has to be paid to the father, so then it's on his balance sheet as a receivable, and therefore that passes on to his heirs, her brothers. However, if the court case doesn't begin, those proceedings don't begin until she already is a Bulgaris, 12 and a half, and later, so then, the only plaintiff here is she, is her. Because it's the girl who is the only, is the one who's claiming now, and she's the one who can decide who she marries, and now her marriage prospects are diminished, therefore she's suffering financial loss, and she's the only one in the picture anymore now that she is a Bulgarist, 12 and a half, and therefore, whatever payments are to be made from the perpetrator, once he's found guilty, they go to her herself, the girl, because she now is she's suffering the loss, she gets the payments. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Imlo ispika legbot ad shemesa av, harayen shalatzma. Rabbi Shimon says, wait a second. Rabbi Shimon's thought is that it isn't considered to be an account receivable until that's not how it works exactly. It's not a thing, it's not, a, it's not a, an asset that's we're talking about until it's actually been collected. That's a technical point. He learns that from a Pasuk. But the point, therefore, according to Rabbi Shimon, would be that. If the father dies before they collect any money, now the only person who is the beneficiary is the daughter, so therefore she gets the money, not the heirs. That's Rabbi Shimon's thoughts, but the halacha doesn't follow him. And so therefore the halacha is like, is like the like the, like the Tanakhama there. Now, period. That's sort of the end of our topic regarding where the payments are made in the case of Onus Mufata. Now the Mishnah's like transitioning to what's like sort of the primary theme of the whole chapter, which is the rights and responsibilities of a father to between the father and the daughter. So we're just saying here now, so it's like a new paragraph, if you will, that Masiyada, the works of her hand, which means if a father has a daughter who's still a Nara. So um while she's in his house and hasn't married somebody else, so then 
the production of her hands, which means whatever, either goods or services. If she, you know, is knitting sweaters, um, the sweaters belong to him, the father. If, you know, he got her a job working in a hotel as a porter, and she's schlepping suitcases and getting paid $100 at the end of the month. So the point is, those $100 will go to the father. Masiyadeh, go to him, as well as umitsiyasa, the things that she finds. If she finds a $50 bill on the floor, it belongs to her father. Even if the father hadn't yet collected, even if she hadn't collected the money, meaning she's getting paid her paycheck at the hotel at the end of the month for $100, and, you know, on the before she can collect her, her paycheck, her father dies. So then, when the father dies, who does the $100 belong to? It belongs to the father, and so the father now died, it belongs to his heirs. Therefore, who gets the check for $100 for the work she did in the hotel prior to her father's death? They will go to her brothers, because it's the father who has the claim, since he's no longer around, it's a claim that belongs to the estate, and therefore the heirs, the Yorsh and the brothers, the ones who have the rights to whatever that is in the estate, including the receivable of the work she did while the father was alive. So therefore the payment goes to the heirs, her brothers.